I greet you today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, how good it is and wonderful to be together in ministry and in love today. So welcome to all of you. And as we come to a time of worship, let's lift up our hearts and center our spirits. Let's let us come together and recite the Psalm 34 together responsively. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Look to him and be radiant so your faces shall never be ashamed. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God is calling us to worship, and God is calling us to prayer and to praise. As we come to worship the living and holy God, 
Let us then confess our sin before him as we pray together the prayer printed in the bulletin. Merciful God, we come to you humbled in the face of your forgiving and gracious love. We want to be like you, but we feel so very far away from living in your image. Will you help us, Lord? We confess that we lean on ourselves, our achievements, our successes, our own plans, and our limited wisdom to navigate life. Remind us, Lord, that we cannot do this life without you, that we were never meant to. Heal us, Lord, of our extreme self-sufficiency and a pride that creates barriers instead of welcome. We surrender ourselves to you and trust your shaping hands. Amen. And now we continue in a moment of silence for our personal confession. Amen. Friends, hear these words of truth and assurance. Christ Jesus entered the world to rescue sinners. He personally bore our sin in his body on the cross so that we might be dead to sin and then made alive again to all that is good and holy and just. Hear the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen. of Christ be with you. And also with you. As we prepare to share that peace with others, I would remind our children fifth grade and younger that they may now exit with our blessing to meet their leaders at the back of the sanctuary for Sunday school. And now that's your clue to be nice to each other. <laughs>
What a wonderful warm greeting. It's so good to be together today, to see your beautiful smiling faces. And I'd like to just remind you of a few things that are happening in the life of the church that you may want to plug into, and you may want to also share with a neighbor to plug into. Uh, one thing I'd like to mention, though, you may have noticed that we no longer are putting words to the, the hymn in the bulletin, and that's because we have these beautiful, bright, shiny new hymnals. But one thing we like to keep secret is where those hymnals are for the people sitting in the first row. We like to keep that a secret. And so we, we want to be sure and let you know that actually it's kind of like being on an airplane. You reach under your seat. And there you find a hymnal. And at the beginning of November, you'll find a Bible also. But uh, anyway, we just wanted to make that clear. Should you ever come up front, uh, we want to uh, arm you with that. This, uh, uh, we have our monthly branch barbecue that's feeding the hungry and the unsheltered. is happening this Saturday, uh, October 28th at 12 noon at the um, B location. You'll see more about that if you go on the website. But we need people to serve, and we also need cookies. We serve cookies at these lunches, and, and we s serve homemade cookies. And some of us make it look like they're homemade and, uh, and take it out of boxes and put it on platters and pretend like we made them. So we need cookies, though. We need people to serve, and we need cookies. So if you would uh, contact Gretchen Scruggs, who is our director of mission, uh, she'll let you know all the details about that. Or you can go on our website, and it also has details. Also let you know next Sunday, uh, at the close of our service, uh, we will have a very brief congregational meeting and for the purpose of electing new officers for the church. Next Sunday, right after our congregational meeting and after the benediction, we have our trunk or treat. I just want to advise you that all of the uh, decorations are going quickly. So unless you want a funky, dorky trunk of your car, you need to get out there and get those decorations right away. So, but we want you to decorate the trunk of your car and, and it will be all lined up over there by the, uh, the parking lot that's next to the playground with our trunks open with your elaborate, wonderful scheme of decorations and candy. And then our little ones will be able to come by and get some candy and maybe even a few big ones, who knows. Also a very important uh, date, November 12th, that's a Sunday, at 11.30, we will have a, a, a pretty important chat with Jack. It's a conversation and a dialogue with one another concerning the situation in the Middle East at this time. So that's November 12th at 11.30 here in the sanctuary. Yeah, it'll be right after the service here in the sanctuary in a chat with Jack. You've heard a little bit about our stewardship campaign, We the Church. And so I'd like to, for you to hear a little bit more about that from Doug Clare this morning. Thank you. <clears throat> we're, here in, uh, we're here in California, and I would venture to bet that most of us have been on a little jaunt over the Golden Gate Bridge. Anybody here not been over the Golden Gate Bridge? <laughs> Raise your hand, Ethan. I know you haven't been. Okay, there's another one. Kids maybe haven't been. Most of us adults have been around California long enough to have been over it. And um, I had the pleasure of working up in Marin for about a year, a long time back, and made many trips over it. And every time was just a bit awestruck at the majesty of it, the scale of it, 
Um, I was doing a little bit of research on it because I'm a bit of a nerd or a geek, and engineering things are kind of my thing. I like to read about those things. And um, it really is a marvel what it, what it is and what it does. Um, the bridge itself weighs almost a million tons. And um, if you dig into how it was built, it's interesting because those cables that we see that are about three feet thick, just over three feet thick, that hold the whole thing up, are actually made of a bunch of wires. Each of those cables has 27,572 wires that are about half as big as your pinky. And they're just laid together, side by side, stacked on top of each other. They were strung across there one at a time and woven together, um, or just bound together, actually. They're not even woven. They're just laying there side by side. And <clears throat> when you look at, you know, when you're on the bridge, it, it's massive. When you step back from it and you're seeing it from the city or you're seeing it from Berkeley or wherever, it's actually quite delicate. Um, it's amazing what it does. And what, was really, what really struck me is that these wires, and you know, 27,000 is a lot of wires, but when you think about how thin those wires are and the work that they do, it's amazing what those individual wires actually accomplish when they work together. Their strength comes from their togetherness and the work that they do together. And uh, Jan was kind enough to kick this off by reminding us of our stewardship theme this year, which is we the church. Um, not I the church, uh, or me the church, we the church. And this is really about what we can do together. It's the strength that we have together when we put our resources together and really look to do the, the Lord's work as a community. So I just ask you to reflect on that. Think about the Golden Gate Bridge. It's always a pleasant sight in your mind, just as it is when you're there and for real. Uh, but give that some thought as you consider your role in our stewardship campaign this year. Thank you. Stella Etheridge is here for the sacrament of baptism. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Obeying the word of our Lord Jesus and sure of his presence with us, we baptize those whom he calls to be his own. In Jesus Christ, God has promised to forgive our sins and has joined us together in the family of faith, which is his church. He has delivered us from darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. In Jesus Christ, God promises to be our Father and to welcome us as brothers and sisters of Christ. And so, Stella, in presenting yourself for baptism, you announce your faith in Jesus Christ, 
and you show that you want to study him, know him, love him, and serve him as his chosen disciple. So now show your purpose by answering these questions. Who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Do you trust in him? And do you intend to be his disciple, to obey his word, and to show his love? I do. Great. Our Lord Jesus Christ orders us to teach those who are baptized. Do you, the people of the village church, promise to tell this new disciple the good news of the gospel, to help her to know all that Christ commands, and by your fellowship to strengthen her family ties with the household of God? Do you? We do. Pray with me. O oh God, we thank you for your faithfulness promised in this sacrament, and we thank you for the hope that we have in your Son, Jesus. As we baptize with water, baptize us with your Holy Spirit, so that what we say may be your word and what we do may be your work. By your power, may we be made one with Christ our Lord in common faith and purpose. Amen. What is your given name? Stella Marie. Stella, usually when I'm baptizing, I've got a squirrely kidder here with me, and I put them in my arms, and I always tell them, though, about the water that I'm going to baptize them with. You and I have talked about this water and, and all that me means. We remember that God's Spirit moved across the face of the waters and He created the dry land as our home. We remember that God delivered the Hebrew slaves through the waters of the Red Sea and led them into the Holy Land where they became the nation of Israel. We remember that it was in the waters of the Jordan River that Jesus was baptized. And so water means something very special to us and as we baptize, we claim that God's Spirit is here, present, to baptize you in the power of the Spirit. And so, Stella Marie, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Give me a hug. Come out here and stand with me. We also rehearse the fact that usually I carry the babies around. <laughs> but you're not a baby, you're a beautiful young woman. But you have been received and welcomed into the fellowship and ministry of this little tiny piece of God's church. There are over one billion Christians around the world, and you are part of that family. You were born into a family of faith, a family that's been teaching you, and this family now has promised to continue that job of teaching you about the love and justice and ministry of Jesus Christ. So it's our privilege to welcome you into that, and we look forward to watching you grow and continue to learn your discipleship to Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for the privilege and joy that it is of welcoming new believers, new members, new people into the life of the church. Indeed, you have laid your call and claim upon each one of us, and we have answered. Some of us maybe still are debating, wondering whether we can answer your call. 
But we know that you are faithful to love us and always to receive us, to call us, to welcome us into the blessing of life together in the family of the church. And so we pray for Stella that you would continue to quicken a deep and abiding faith in her, that you would help her as you help all of us to learn the way of Jesus in the world, and that through her life she would touch others with your love, that they may come to know you as well. We pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. One more hug. Bless you, dear. Thanks a lot. Baptism is but one of the many blessings that we enjoy. In order that those blessings might be shared with others, we now have an opportunity to give in a particular way as we seek to give all of ourselves to the life of the church. So the ushers will now come forward to wait upon us as we present to God our tithes and our offerings.
seated. Let us join together in prayer. O oh God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are God when times are good, when dreams are realized, when life is abundant, when souls are at peace. And you are God when times are tough, when hopes are dissolved, when resources are scarce, when our souls cry out to you because everywhere else we turn there is no peace. Still, you are God and we are your people. O oh God, this day is like so many others and our prayers are the same. We pray that the evil in this world, whether it be in those who murder in the Middle East or on the streets of America, those who enslave others for their own pleasure or gain, those who disregard the pleas of the sick and the starving, we pray that such evil would be called out and met with overwhelming good and righteousness and justice especially in the hearts of those who are willing to listen to your voice of peace and then to work with your heart of renewal and compassion. We pray that every act of our own lives might be so filled with your spirit that day by day we may be counted as those who are building the world into the place you want it to be. Oh God, help us to see beyond all that is wrong with our lives and our world there is good work to be done. There are flowers to behold, music to hear, the warmth of sunshine and loving hearts to brighten our lives. There are more people in your world who want peace than want war, more who patiently and faithfully work each day to nurture children, to cooperate with others, to seek common ground, to discover new medicines, to grow abundant food, and to take care of the needs of the day. Give us hearts so filled with a sense of your presence that our discouragements and defeats and dysfunctions are dissolved and then replaced with hope, with helpfulness, and with a peace that passes all understanding and then passes along into the hearts of others. We pray these things and so many other things that only your spirit in us can adequately express. And we sum them all in these words that Jesus taught as we speak together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
A reading from Psalm 69. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, an acceptable time, O God. In the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me. With your faithful help, rescue me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Do not let the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. And now a reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Jesus also told this parable to someone who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. These rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week, I give tenth of all my income, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified, rather than other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but for all who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of the Lord. Will you please pray with me? God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather, to listen, to lift up, to sing, to pray, and also to engage in your word. We pray that we might have eyes and ears and a heart to be wide open to receive your word. We pray these things in your name, amen. I've often talked to you before about where I grew up. I grew up in the desert of the Imperial Valley where it rarely ever rains. In fact, on the unique occasion that we would have a cloudy day, it felt very spooky and odd to us as children. It was the kind of day where we thought, shouldn't school be canceled? Shouldn't we buckle down and hunker down? What is going to come of this cloudness that is covering the sky? When it did rain, you could count on it either being in two forms. Either it would come as fat drops that sizzled on the sidewalk and quickly disappeared, or a sudden deluge that caught you totally unaware and that would just rain and, and drench us with buckets of water. And it would lead to some of those famous flash floods that you hear about often in the desert. One usual sunny afternoon, when I was about eight years old, I had ridden my small rusty blue bike over to Beachy Field where they held little leg Little League games. And I want to tell you, all week long, a nickel had been burning a hole in my pocket. And I had been dreaming about a rainbow snow cone for a week. I couldn't wait to get there. And when I got there and I was standing in line, all of a sudden the clouds moved in swiftly without any kind of warning. And we were engaged in one of those deluges. 
And soon people were running for shelter. The game was called. Everybody was running to their cars. And I got on my little blue bike, and I was trying to hurry home as fast as possible because who knows what could happen when it rained. <laughs> But as I was heading home, I hit a deceptive puddle that stuck my bike so hard in it that I flew over the handlebars and into the mud. And when I looked back, my bike was still standing. <laughs> I want to tell you, I pushed and I shoved as hard as I could to get that bike to move. But the wheels were so caked with mud that was the consistency of sticky rice. I was just overwhelmed by what I couldn't do. And my sister and I shared that bike, and I did not want to leave that bike there in the puddle in the rain. And so I cried, and I cried, and I pushed, and I pushed. But at some point, I knew I could not do this by myself. I could not make that bike move. Well, I ran home, and I was burning with shame because I had to leave the bike there. I couldn't get it unstuck. And my dad put me in his old Ford pickup, and we went to get that bike. And he picked it up out of the mud with one arm, <laughs> and he put it in the back of the truck, and we got home. And at home, my mom dried me off, and she put me in my pajamas, and I ate Campbell's chicken noodle soup and watched a new episode of Lassie. And never had I ever felt so safe and so saved. We are not alone. We have never been alone. We will never be alone. And we cannot do this alone. As the psalmist so eloquently puts it, where can I go to avoid your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, You're there, and if I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me fast. We were not created to be self-sufficient from God. We were created to make the connection that we simply can't do life without God. And that as creatures to the creator, we are totally dependent. And that's not even the good news. Here's the good news. Here's the news. The miraculous part is that we can trust this God. That the one and only God that we must depend on is the author and essence of compassion and mercy and justice and love. That is the good news. Why do we pray when we are hopeless? Why do we pray at the midnight bedside or in the foxhole? Why do we pray in worship, in meetings, or wherever two or more gather? I think it's because we pray to remind ourselves that we cannot do this alone. We pray because we believe that God is the source of all life and all love. God is the very source of all of our humanity, of everything. 
We pray because we are often frightened and fatigued. We are trying so hard to push that little bike with its mud-caked wheels home, and we are drenched by the storm, and the tears are washing down, and we feel so small and so powerless. And we pray because Jesus prayed. And Jesus taught us how to pray. And I'm not just talking about the words of the Lord's Prayer that we recited a few moments ago. It's more than that. You see, Jesus' entire life, every breath, every word, and every action of his life was pointing towards, lifting up, and connecting with God. You know, the term prayer, when we read it in the scriptures, we have to remember something. It's not just talking about words. It's talking about something much bigger than that. It's used to represent the whole, everything, of our commitment and our behavior. It's all of us. Right off the bat, we see that prayer is much more than words that come out of our mouths. Prayer is also the humility of our spirits, the intent of our hearts, the obedience of our actions, and the alignment of our will with God's will. Now that's a lot. At the first service, we had somebody's phone went off, and at that moment, I took the opportunity because God was calling them to go back and repeat this. (laughs) And it was a good thing. Thank you, God, for calling that person. I want to repeat that. Prayer is also the humility of our spirit, the intent of our hearts, the obedience of our actions, and the alignment of our will with God's will. And I think it's this understanding of prayer that makes this parable so rich and so nourishing for us. In this section of Luke, we find two parables that are linked by uh, subject matter. The first parable that comes right before the one we read, we have a persistent widow, it's called, who continuously knocks on the judge's door until he is so emotionally worn out and ready to give her anything to stop the banging. And then we move into this particular parable. And we have the story of the text today, and this is the story of self-righteous and self-loathing. It would be natural, I think, to assume at this point that these texts are teaching us techniques to prayer. I want to say to you as strongly as possible that prayer has never been and will never be about technique or formula for the right way to pray. Formulas and techniques are for those who still believe that they have to rely on their own tools, on their own prayer talents to make God more responsive and more effective. When we rely on formulas and techniques or the right way, we also give ourselves a pat on the back for doing it the right way when things go the way we think God ought to want to respond. And then we judge those whose prayers appear to go unanswered, at least in our own eyes, for not doing it the right way. 
But these texts have such a more significant insight for us about prayer because it reveals to us that who we are and what we believe God to be will shape our approach to God and has everything to do with the power of prayer. Do you believe that God withholds mercy and healing and grace if you don't do it the right way? I have heard people say that. Making the one praying responsible for the answer to their own prayers when they are at their most vulnerable and most depleted. And I want to tell you, I believe that that's theological malpractice. I have heard people touted as prayer warriors. I've even been called that before. And I know that the, the people who say that are simply trying to affirm a person for praying, but I'm confused and extremely uncomfortable with crediting myself with a claim for any kind of special prayer powers or abilities to get results better than anybody else because of something I do. Prayer, which is also a conversation with God, isn't conversation regulated by social or class distinctions or adept language skills. It's a, it's a conversation of life in which all men and women and children and widows and judges and kings and beggars and the literate and the illiterate, poor and rich, the wise and fools, saints and sinners, all equal in the eyes of God. We are all peers with equal access to God. Is that not mo the most, uh, the biggest relief? That we all have that access to God. So two men went up to the temple to pray is the way that Jesus begins his parable about two men who were as different as night and day but they were similar in one way. They were both sinners. Both men are equally shamed before God. What is the sin of the Pharisee? The Pharisee, it seems, has fallen into a sin of arrogance, a sin of pride, because he exalts himself above others, even above God. And I think he's fallen into a sin of idolatry because he worships himself more than he worships God. And then we have the tax collector, oh boy, who was among the wealthy and who contracted with the Romans to collect taxes, who were known to squeeze as much as possible from the people, who commonly stole from the people they taxed and pocketed the money for themselves, the tax collectors who accepted bribes routinely and were infamous for graft, theft, and corruption, these tax collectors who were considered unclean because of their contact with Gentiles, they were hated and despised because they were traitors of their own people. Two men went up to the temple to pray. And once you understand who these two are, you may find yourself more easily identifying with the Pharisee than with this tax collector. Oftentimes, he's seen as a hero. But think of what he brings, the baggage he brings to that prayer. 
How seductive is it to trust ourselves that we are righteous and to regard others with contempt or with sly judgment? We do our good duty and we confess our, our sins every Sunday. Check. We put an envelope in the plate or we make that automatic payment online. Check. We serve the church and the world in so many ways. Hooray for us. Boo for those who do not follow the rules as we do. Those whose work is detestable. Check and check. The difference you see, between the two men's approach is not about their posturing. It's not about whether they were sitting or standing or heads bowed or on one foot or looking up into the heavens. It wasn't even about the words that they spoke. The difference is what their posture and words said about what was in their hearts and their attitude towards God and their fellow humans. You see, the Pharisees' prayer embodies a way of being in the world that is devoid of the very relationship that characterizes life in God's realm. Love your neighbor and love God. That's what characterizes our relationship in the world. And his prayer was so devoid. How can he love his neighbors when he sees only their sinful shortcomings? How can he love God when he is so full of himself, so proud of what he has done for God, what he has accomplished on his own in the name of religion? For all his scrupulous obedience to the commandments, he has missed the forest for the trees. And the tax collector's prayer, on the other hand, draws us to consider the great mercy of God. We've already established that the sins of the tax collector are very serious. And in other stories, like the story of Zacchaeus, another tax collector who was up in a tree, and Zacchaeus came down and he was so repentant, he said, I'll give, I'll give twice as much as I stole. But in this story, that restitution is not here. This parable is interested only in this man's trust in God's mercy. If a tax collector, I mean a tax collector, can find mercy before God, who is excluded? Sit down, be quiet, stay humble. It's not a formula by any means. What it is is it's a spiritual practice, a spiritual discipline, if you will, and a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice is the work that we do, you and I, still and always with the help of God to position ourselves to be able with wild trust and fierce abandon to receive the grace and mercy, compassion and love that God provides to us through Jesus Christ. For us to be able to turn our satellite to that position to receive and to surrender the rule and reign over our lives to the will of our creator. And it's kind of a funny surrender because it's not like we are in control. 
but it's to surrender our thinking that we're in control and continuously grabbing at that control. And we surrender it over to the lives and the will of our creator who seeks for us the fullness of life. This wonderful creator who seeks for us the realization of a kingdom we so desperately are seeking and we so dismally fall short of and we can never reach on our own. It doesn't matter whether you're a Pharisee or a tax collector, whether you're a persistent judge or whether you're a a widow, or you're a small eight-year-old girl in the rain stuck in the mud and feeling powerless and overcome. The truth of the matter is God is for you. God's mercy abounds. God's grace covers and surrounds you. And these things, knowing these things, This is very important for you to understand. It is your response to these gifts and virtues of God that will be and is the great prayer of your life. That is the prayer that you pray with every breath and every word and every action and every intent. God is the starting point the centering stone, and the omega of our future. And please know that in God you are home, you are safe, and you are saved. Stand with me now. And let us affirm our faith together in words taken from the letter to the Philippians. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
sit down, be quiet, stay humble, stay up. <laughs> There's no trick meeting at this, <laughs> at the end here. It's not a formula, it's a spiritual practice. And I just want to remind us that for all of us whose father has come and taken them home and dried them off and fed them and felt safe and saved, there are others out there that are still stuck in the mud. So we go from this place as people who know that safety, but we go to them. We go to them with the good news and we help them get unstuck and we bring them home. And may the love of God and the mercy and peace of Jesus Christ and the intimate fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Amen. Amen.